welcome to the Psychology of Successful Women podcast, where we explore the mindset, behavior, and success strategies of high-achieving women. It's an inspirational show that helps ambitious women to maximize their performance from the inside out and thrive in the world of business. I'm your host, Shona Rowan, high-performance coach, inspirational speaker, and author of the book, The Psychology of Successful Women. On this month's episode of the Psychology of Successful Women podcast, it was my great pleasure to speak with Borby Webster. Borby is a CEO, innovator, violist, entrepreneur, educator, presenter, and producer. She's the founder and former CEO of Perth Symphony Orchestra, the orchestra that makes the rules and has a mission of music for everyone. Founded in 2011, the orchestra was created by Borby with an ambition to reach a massive new audience in WA. She also passionately wished to find a new way to retain talent in WA, creating jobs for and showcasing WA's incredible musicians. In 2017, Borby created the Arts Leaders Collective to support leaders of new arts companies and is passionate about supporting women in the arts. Borby has an MA in music from Oxford University and is a graduate of the Royal College of Music. She also has an MBA from UWA. In 2022, she was named in Business News Power 500 list and has been a winner of a Business News 40 Under 40 Award for Entrepreneurs and a finalist in the Telstra Business Women of the Year Award. In 2019, she was named West Australian of the Year in Arts and Culture. We had a great conversation about her career journey, her lifelong passion for music, advice she'd give her younger self, how she bounces back from setbacks, deals with nerves and builds resilience, and so much more. So, Bobby, welcome to the Psychology of Successful Women podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. It's great to be with you, Shona. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So to get started, perhaps you could tell our listeners about yourself and your amazing career all leading up to your current roles as the creative director and executive producer of the Perth Symphony Orchestra and as director of North Street Music? Mm, gosh, that's a, that's a very big question. Sharona, how did I get yeah. here? Look, yeah. in a background as a musician, um, studied viola, read music in the UK, grew up surrounded by music, mm. loved music, but um, at uni um, needed some money for a boat club because I was also into <laughs> wrote what I now understand is a business plan um, for an accounting firm, got a large sponsorship deal, managed that relationship, bought lots of expensive equipment and quite realised that I like the business side as well as the music side. Um, Mm. Jump a couple of years, found myself in a girl band with a record deal in London. Amazing. Um, Yeah, it was great fun. Strongly recommend recording at Happy Road and awesome, amazing things like that. Um, but kept asking questions because I was interested in business. So who's paying for this and why are we flying in a jet to, uh, Sweden? You know, why can't we record Mm. in London? Isn't it cheaper? You know, all that kind of stuff. And of course it's just, no, you're just there to record, be quiet and play kind of thing. And, um, look, it wasn't that bad, but you know, you're just not told what the hell's going on. So when that all went slightly belly up, I ran away to the furthest corner of the planet, Perth with a very, um, strong focus on learning business and understanding this incredible world of how money was made and how things are delivered. Um, And so after many years in the corporate world and doing an MBA, took that knowledge back into the music world going, right, how can I make a difference in something I love and make a difference to the planet, but use the business skills I've got. So um, did what I thought would be quite straightforward. I mean, I've played in orchestras all my life. I mean, you just put some music in front of 
a bunch of people and play, right? It can't be that hard. Oh my goodness <laughs> me, did I not know what I was getting into? <laughs> so yeah, founded Perth Symphony and ran that as the CEO and well, everything. I think every job title passed under me. Um, and we've just got big. And you know, mm. I, I, everything I believe just come true that people need music in their lives, that orchestral music is magical and moving and relevant and meaningful in today's world. It's not a dinosaur. Um, yeah. So we appointed a new CEO recently and actually I'm on my way out. Like I feel that person is about to have its kind of teenage years and needs to grow up and leave home and do that without me. And I've got a few, few more things under my belt that I still want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So new adventures ahead. So that, that's the nutshell. Oh, I love hearing about that. And we're going to dig into parts of that as we go further along, uh, Bobby. But thank you for sharing that. And obviously, we connected thanks to the MBA that you mentioned at UWA and all those sorts of things. So everything's connected. Now, one of my biggest passions as a coach and writing my book and starting this very podcast is to help other people build a successful and fulfilling career on their terms, whatever that looks like to them. So I'd love to know, Bobby, what does success mean to you at this point in your career? Well, first of all, success and the definition of that is it's amazing how it evolves. You know, Mm. what was success five years ago was not success 10 years ago. And you change your goals and you change what matters to you. So I I love that it's an evolution. So at this point moment in time success is finding the next Bobby Webster because I've been so defined at the Perth Symphony you know if you talk mm-hmm. about Perth Symphony to anyone in Perth that's aware of the orchestra they would yeah. you know it's sort of a you know look I'm not remotely in the same league but Richard Branson and Virgin are synonymous and right now mm-hmm. I am and that's not healthy for the orchestra because it's way bigger than just me um yeah. And it's not healthy for me because there's so much more that I can do. So success for me going forward is continuing to do things that I love and can have a huge Mm. impact in, get paid well for doing it unashamedly. That when you work in the not-for-profit sector, everyone thinks that you should be doing it for nothing. Yeah. Um, But also have a lot more time to do things for me because Perth Symphony was very much about doing everything I possibly could for the orchestra. And I miss playing my viola. I want to play again. I um, have, I used to run half marathons. I used to compete a lot in rowing and, you know, so actually getting back to making space in my life for things I love. If I manage that in the next 12 months, I will have had a very successful year. Mm. I love hearing that. And I I totally agree with you. That sense of it, our definitions of success changing, it definitely has in my life. It has with everyone I'm speaking to now. And I love that you said you want to continue doing things you love and Getting paid well is so important. And again, something that comes up with so many people that I speak to, especially women in business, which is the focus of this podcast, is so many women do work in not-for-profit and things like that. So that sense of being paid well and feeling valued um, is really, really important. Now, I was so excited to talk to you, Bobby, because my background is in the creative and performing arts in form of a dancer. And I used to compete for Australia for many, many years um, as a competitive ballroom dancer and performing on stages. And I know what it's like being backstage before you're about to walk on or perform and the adrenaline rush of the nerves. So I can only imagine there's lots of pressure connected to all the live performances you've been involved with with the Perth Symphony Orchestra and in your days as a musician and and all those sorts of things. So tell us a bit more about that. You know, what's it like? And also, I know my listeners would love to know, you know, what is one of your personal tips or two around dealing with nerves, fear, stage fright, all of the above? 
Oh, look, you know, um, for musicians and particularly classical musicians, because we don't drink half a bottle of bourbon before we go on stage <laughs> and yell at the audience and, you know, let the guitarist take a solo if our vocals aren't going quite right. So <laughs> no disrespect to contemporary musicians, but um, in, in our world, it is perfection. And one slight tick of the bow or one slight squeak of the reed and everyone in the audience, you know, 2000 people in a concert hall can flinch. So it's massive. The pressure is massive and the pressure musicians put on themselves. I learned very early that my stage fight was debilitating and a career ending thing in the sense that I could not be a professional viola player playing at the level I wanted to because I could never play in public at the same standard that I could play in private. Mm. And that frankly is part of the job. It is part of the job. If, If your body if you're someone who does doubt yourself and is self-conscious, then I was like, okay, so what can I do with viola? What what can I do that I love? And I still play, but now I do house concerts with only my friends and my neighbours who literally think I'm wonderful, regardless of how many bad notes I play. <laughs> They're just happy to be there, a line in their hand, in a comfy sofa, listening to some Mozart in a house. So what I've done with that is find where I'm comfortable as a performer. Mm. I go to that level and I found that just as enriching and fulfilling. And then I've taken, I've gone to the other side and done administration and support now, obviously have had over a decade of supporting musicians who do have that confidence, who found it in themselves to overcome those fears. Not one musician does not suffer from stage fright. Every Mm. musician is sweaty palmed, shallow breathing before they go on stage for every concert. So mm. you know it's something that you have to acknowledge. Um, but if you can't find a way to master it. So I obviously then had to get over my fear um, to host and stand in front of audiences and welcome them to the orchestra and encourage them to get involved and post on social media. And so I still had to, but what I found was um when I make mistakes when I'm talking or if I slip up my lines, I can chat to the audience and make a joke and go, look, stop staring at me and laughing, you guys. You know how hard it is up here for me and how many of you down there don't want to be here. So bear with me while I get this right. We'll go again. And I make a joke out of it. And I can do that when I'm speaking. Mm. And it's incredible how forgiving everyone is. When you're playing a perfect piece of Mozart, you can't. You can't mm. stop. So what I've done is basically found a way for me to cope with stage fright, with nerves Mm -hmm. as a presenter and a host. And now, you know, I speak quite regularly. Guess what? I still get sweaty palms and shallow breathing and I can feel my heart beating in my throat every single time I do anything, regardless of how big or small the audience is. Um, but I've worked on those coping mechanisms that we're all friends, that it's not me performing, it's me conversing. Mm-hmm. So um, I found a way around it for the speaking side of my career. I, yeah, I've just had to change my playing career and mm-hmm. not put that pressure on myself. Well, you shared lots of great things in there that I think are really powerful for listeners. And I love the one around, you know, you found where you're comfortable. I think that's really important, right? You know, we don't always have to force ourselves to overcome something. Maybe that's a bit of a sign that that's not what we're meant to be doing or there's other ways we could still, you know, follow that passion and not put so much pressure in ourselves. So I love that. I know there's a quote I read the other day that said something like, just because you could do something doesn't mean you have to. And I was like, I like that sense of kind of trusting yourself and following what feels right. So I really like that you said that. 
And then when you said uh, other performers that you've worked with have, have found ways of mastering it and learning to work with it and channel that and cope, I think that's that's another cool one. And I've obviously seen you speak, Bobby, and you would never ever guess that you're nervous at all when you present. Like I saw you do the UWA MBA, um, you were the MC of the whole night, the, the big ball, and it was amazing, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's funny how people can't tell how we're feeling on the inside is another thing I thought when you said that. And also it reminded me in my days of a dancer, right, when you know, the stress that you feel and then you go out there and you do have to find ways of channeling it. And my poor and dancing, I'm sure, is nowhere near as uh, perfectionistic as I can only imagine it is in orchestras, right? But I've still had to do a lot of work on myself around now that I'm in business, if you like, a bit like you were saying about speaking, there's not that same critical perfectionistic lens. And I've really had to work on that with myself because it was so trained in me to always try to have the right dance move, to be perfect, the hands had to be perfect, your makeup, your hair, everything had to be so perfect, right? And it did, that's the industry. And like I said, music music is, is 10 times even more perfectionistic than that. But it took me a long time to really unpack that and realise that actually when it comes to running my own business, when it comes to being, like you said, a speaker, we don't need to have that same critical lens because there is kind of more room for mistake and you can make it up if you do make errors in different ways. So I've really yes. had to yep. spend a lot of time working on that with myself and I'm sure if anyone's listening in, and it will be because you're, you're in that industry, but other performers, reminding ourselves that not everywhere needs that same lens, right? So that was a big that was a big lesson for me. Um, but, look, you shared so many fabulous things in there, Bobby. So I guess linked to that, uh, something, again, many of my clients talked about, I'm sure a lot of your friends and colleagues talked to you about, and I've had to work on myself, is that sense of bouncing back from setbacks and building resilience when things don't go to plan in our careers or in our business. So, you know, could you tell our listeners a bit about a time, a specific example or a story about a time you faced a big setback or challenge in your career and how you dealt with that or responded to it? Oh, my goodness me, so many, Shona. I, one thing I would like to share though recently is, um, you know, I was very privileged to meet an, an author of a book who has written a book called The Resilience Shield. And um, we had to fill out a questionnaire about resilience. And I unbelievably came out really, really resilient. And what was fascinating to me was that the questionnaire wasn't just a how quickly do you pick yourself up? How do you keep yourself full of hope and determination and driving forward and positive thoughts? It was, are you surrounded by friends that you can regularly pick up the phone and talk to? Do you have a strong, loving relationship with your family? Do you keep fit, get fresh air and have hobbies in your life that allow you to switch off? And I've mm. got, yes, I've got all of that in my life. I'm very blessed that I do have music. Even though I work in music, most of my job is behind a computer and on the phone. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what I realized was, was just actually the reason that I can be so resilient is because I do have a pretty good balance in my life in many ways. I have a fabulous support network. And what that means is not only am I sharing with them why things are difficult and why I'm struggling, they're sharing with me too. And you realize that this is just part of life, that actually nothing is insurmountable, that no hurdle is utterly destructive. Like I've yet to come across one. They seem like it at the time. They seem like absolutely yeah. you know, career ending road blocking. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous yeah. challenges. Um, and yet you, you know, I've now learned, no, like I'm, even if I don't know the way forward, just start with the next half hour, answer those emails and that momentum always finds me a way through. So 
look, the, I mean, gosh, as I say, too many examples to mention, but I would like to mention the occasion when we met. That dinner, I was running another really high profile major event that was going horribly wrong. And I'd actually been in tears that afternoon. I arrived mm. an hour late for the sound check. I did my makeup for that dinner in the toilets in about three minutes before I was due to meet and greet, you know, the former chair of the National Bank of Australia. And within 15 minutes of me arriving, not in my black tie, not wearing any makeup, I was like, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. And how are we all? And all I literally was thinking was don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. I mean, that's how in bits I was from the day that I'd just gone through. And after 12 years of running Perth Symphony, I can still have a day that where that happens, where I'm so disappointed that things beyond my control and a couple of things I should have known better and seen and preempted and didn't, all of yeah. those things of why am I still doing this so wrong? Mm. You know, why is that incident still happening that impacted the musicians so badly? Why is the client so, you know, I don't know how mm. is this for someone who really has their stuff together, which is me most of the time. Um, It is very, very hard when it doesn't go well. But I have learned to literally partition. So there was a line before I went on stage and um, I actually did a philosophy course online recently, a practical philosophy course through Practical Philosophy Australia. And I loved it. And what they taught me was the power of the pause. Stop, Mm. breathe deeply just for five minutes. Breathe deeply for, like, you know, sorry, not five minutes, five times. Drop yeah. your shoulders, draw a line in the sand and look look in front of you. And I looked out and saw lots of my friends from my MBA that I'd not seen for a while. Um, all of that kind of thing. And I thought, and here I am. Off we go. I can do this. I'm surrounded by people that I know and love. And I'm emceeing a dinner that matters to me. So um, it's hard. It's really hard and there's no prize no one came up and patted me on the back at the end of that night go that was such a courageous thing you did tonight because no one had any idea Mm. what I just endured so you're on your own but you 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 just find a way of breathing pausing and um you know I did I, I got wonderful feedback from the audience during the dinner I could see people's smiles and that encouragement by the end of the dinner I was so calm and so in my rhythm and really Mm. being MC so well let me say as as I said to you on the night you did such a brilliant job like it was so good no one would ever have known like what you just said then you would never ever have known and so that always fascinates me again how performers and people that have grown grown up in the performing arts and use the word petition I think that is. Do you think that is from your training, Bobby, from all those years where the show must go on, it doesn't matter what's happening, on you go and you've learned to somehow park it and then you just, you know, you put that aside and just move forward because, yeah, no one would ever have said and you were so present and it was amazing. And I also just love that you shared it and you talked about normalising it and that's why I always ask my guests this question because we all have things, right? Things happen and people don't always know what's going on in someone else's life and we're all having setbacks and knockbacks and that sense of having to, you know, respond to challenges in our career. So I love hearing those stories. Now, coaching and mentoring is something, again, Bobby, I'm sure you've received a lot of uh, throughout your career. What is one of the best pieces of career advice you've ever received? Or just a standout piece? You've probably received lots of great advice, but I'd love to know what's one of the one of the standout pieces of career advice or business advice you've received on your journey so far? 
oh, look, beyond so many. Um, I think if I look back and say what's helped me the most, I often I actually find reading can help a lot. There are some incredible books out there that really, um, you know, can hone in on something that you struggle with or, you know, that time in your job. Is it the finances or is it communication or is it, you know, you're a strong leader, but are you not a great manager? Those kind of things. So, um, you know, I have a couple of friends that are exceedingly well read and recommended really fabulous books and when you've got a great author um it's sort of like you've got you're taking a best friend to bed every night you wake up in the morning and you can't wait to go and try some of these things because it unlocks so much of what you've got wrong one of the best bits of advice from a, a gorgeous mentor I have called Lynn Harding was to recently read a book called Ikigai and mm-hmm. Ikigai it's a very short book it's wonderful I like a short one it's a Japanese philosophy about finding your purpose in life leading to longevity mm-hmm. and happiness mm-hmm. and why do so many people in Okinawa live to not just 100 but 110 wow having, having read this book um <clears throat> and this is so pertinent for me at this time in my life where I'm transitioning out of a company that I built from scratch mm-hmm. and like a child, got up at three o'clock in the morning if it was vomiting and cleaned that up, you know. Um, <laughs> you know there's not a moment I've missed on that journey. Um, and to now to separate myself from it. And that the philosophy of Ikigai is find out what you're passionate about, find out what you're good at, find out what you can get paid for, and find out what the world needs and where those mm. four things intersect. And it can be really small. Like they actually discovered in Okinawa that without fail, Every single person who was over 100 grows their own vegetables. And not just that, they find out what their neighbours don't grow so that they can each provide each other. So they have a purpose. Oh, I love that. So it's all about community and what they can contribute so that all of them have a balanced diet. And Mm. someone else doesn't have carrots. So you've got to grow. I know this sounds ridiculously trivial on a a, a business with leadership podcast, but it really resonated with me that sometimes Mm. what the world needs is such a small little detail, but yet so important and what gets us out of bed every morning because we need to do that. And so at the moment, that book, I highly recommend it. It um, So it's I-K-I-G-A-I, but it's, it's really been incredibly grounding advice that my next big thing doesn't have to be hugely ambitious. It doesn't have to be. Oh, I love that. My next conquest. I just mm. need to find what I love, what I'm good at. What do people need and what can I get yep. paid for? And that will be enough. So. I love that. And our, our audience loves books. So I will definitely share that when we do the post for the, and I've written it down. I've actually seen it. I haven't read that yet. I'm a huge fan of books and I've learned so much from them and I find them inspirational. So I'm, I'm going to go out and buy it now that you've recommended it and I'll definitely share yeah. that in the links. So lead to that question, Borby, you know, if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice to encourage her, support her, what would you say if you could go back? People always ask me this. So I love asking my, my uh, you know, guests. Um, I'm still giving myself the same advice right now in this period of transition, okay. yeah. um, which is you just have to be brave. It will work. Mm. Most things actually work if you're someone who works hard and asks for help and whatever but I always suffered from oh my god it'll never work and I realized how much that held me back because it meant that there were some people that I didn't want to talk to about the orchestra that could have helped me way earlier Mm. because I I needed to prove it was going to work first 
because I didn't want to embarrass myself in case. And I'm like, why didn't I just go out there and say, Mm. this is what I'm going to do. I know it can work and I need your help on it. Yeah. And, you know, and I've got to stop myself from doing that again, going, you don't have to go out there and find something and build it and work hard and prove it's going to work and then talk about it. Go out there and declare what you're going to do and get everybody on board now, right now. It stands a far better chance of being successful if lots of people are talking about it, sharing Mm. it, advice and building it. So um, it most definitely is the advice that just have absolute confidence in what you're doing. There is a space for everything in this world, every little mm. business, every little idea, every concept, every service, everything we're offering, there is a space for as long as you can kind of come up with something that's really um, exciting and engaging and imaginative about it. And guess what? Most of us are in business because we have had that thought. That's why we're doing this. So it will work there will be a space for it and you stand a much better chance of finding it if you share it far more so I sh- I just it just felt too big to declare that I was starting a symphony orchestra it just mm-hmm. I sort of cringed a bit when I told people and was a bit embarrassed and I wish I'd just gone out there with a torch on my head you know <laughs> yeah oh I love that declare it have faith believe in your ideas don't overthink it don't wait for it to be perfect get on board or on board early so many so many great tips you shared in there well look Bobby final question for you you obviously love the world of music have you got a favorite song um or two I know it's impossible asking people actually you probably got a hundred but what is one of your favorite songs that you would go to especially if you wanted to sort of pick yourself up if you wanted to feel inspired maybe you were having a bad day and you got in the car and you thought I'm going to put that song on it'll make me give me that bit of a lift or help shift my mindset or shift my state have you got something that you go to in those times oh gosh look music for me is my life of course mm-hmm. I love that I love hearing that <laughs> and therefore you know and I I use it um and you know and it's actually something I'm thinking of whether I develop into more of an idea going forward because music is a tool so if Mm. I'm heading to a meeting and I need pumping up I will put Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, some really great rock you know I love it most of my my meetings I am living on a prayer and it's just winging it and I'm asking people for money and all that kind of stuff Um, other times if I am going to present to my board and I need to be more balanced and more measured um, then I would put on a Brahms symphony Um, if yeah. I am full of emotion and um, feeling a bit hormonal and I just need a release because sometimes mm. we feel like pressure cookers, yeah. then um, look, generally there's an orchestra involved in most of what I listen to, despite the Bon Jovi <laughs> thing. But um, the album by Joni Mitchell that she orchestrated later in life and the song Both Sides Now, it was used in the film Love Actually, but Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now orchestrated. The orchestration in that song is some of the most staggeringly beautiful orchestral writing and the string writing is cross rhythms, which feels like an ocean lifting me and the lyrics and there's an alto saxophone that just plays this extraordinary melody. And I I guarantee you I'll be in tears every time I listen to it. And yeah, I feel elated and refreshed Mm. at the end of that song. So oddly enough, even it definitely isn't a raw banging, whatever song, it's it's my tonic. It's very much tonic. And in fact, that whole album, I implore all of your listeners to go to Spotify or even better buy it, but, um, (laughs) you know, find the Joni Mitchell both sides now album orchestrated they they will not be disappointed 
Oh, thank you for sharing that. And again, I will include that in the tag. And I really liked when you said about sort of the different states, because that's like as a dancer, it's the same, you know, certain music evoke the different emotions. And I like how you said you have your own sort of list. Um, and I do in my own personal Spotify list as well. Like if you're feeling a bit sad, if you want to have more energy, uh, go and find one that suits that mode. But thank you so much for sharing that, Borby. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing more about your career journey and your story. Um, and I can't wait to share this and your t- and tag you, obviously, uh, with all our audience across all the different social media channels that we're on. So just thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks, Shona. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Psychology of Successful Women book, or the Career Acceleration Program, you can head to shonarowan.com where you can also access a bunch of other free resources. See you on the next episode.